0: Fits. Fits. <laughs> Can I see it. Can I see? Tell me, I'll put the description on it. Again, it's done. We forgot. Okay. Beruchem aboyim b'shem Hashem. Welcome to our Wednesday night cheer. From far and from wide. Hmm. From close and from near, I guess, yeah. Um, this Shabbos, we begin, we embark on the new Chumash, the new Sefer, known as, don't make me say it, Deuteronomy, uh, to get everybody to send in the points afterwards, if that's how it's pronounced, we call it Chumash Devarim, Chumash Devarim was said in 27 days, the beginning, of Chumash Duvar and Meisha began to say this on a Shchaides Shvat until the day he died, which was Zion Other. Sorry, Sorry? which parsha does he die? He dies in Vizay's Where do you think he dies? What was it about then? Sorry. Um. Kumish Dvaram, Paj Dvaram. Mm-hmm. Oops. Mesh Rabbeinu takes to repeating the entire Torah. Another name for Kumish Dvaram is Mishneh Tera, the repetition of Tera. A novelty this Shabbos, which is going to uh, sneak up on us as a surprise, because nobody was prepared for this one. Nobody knew this was going to happen. And that is the Shabbos is Tisha The Shabbos is Tisha Oh boy. I did something very wrong. Oh, maybe it's unwronged. I don't know what I did. Who is that what's the problem? It's not um, I can tell you what the problem is now. Being Shabbos is Tishabav. <gasps> i like to mention Cheskel ben Ella, I guess for a foolish Lema. Um, we made the Last week, she we dedicated for Shlomo, but he didn't make it, unfortunately. Um, my, motorcycle accident took his life. <laughs> this week is also it is Vov of already, but it was Hay of the yard site of the Ariachai that ever says of the Arizal who was buried in Tzfas. How he always, his legacy lives on and therefore is known as Ali Chai. Being that this Shabbos is Tishabav, there are laws that have to go over, which Shemir we will discuss throughout the course of this year. The Rabbi used to open his Shear with the milseh of the Bidikusa. Something comical, something that would catch the eye, catch the ear of the person, of the listener. Actually, last night there's was a siyam, every night there's was a siyam in 770. I hope maybe we'll be able to switch over to 770 live during this year, to catch the few minutes of, year of the of The Rav, the Maradasa, the Chief Rabbi of Crown Heights, made the CM yesterday, and he made the CM on Psechta Saita Yerushalmi. We have Talmud Babli, we have Talmud Yerushalmi, the Talmud that was written in Babylon, and the Talmud that was written in Yerushalayim. Therefore, he was learning Masechta Saita of Talmud Yerushalmi, which the end of the Masechta finishes off with stories. So he said, you might finishes with a story, and I'm sure if I say story, everybody's ears are going to perk up, which is what it did. They tell a story of a fellow who lived in a far-off town. And um, he had a problem. He heard outside in his garage, there were people rummaging around. There were robbers in the, in the garage. So as any good citizen, a good Samaritan, he picked up his phone and he dialed 911. As he dialed 911, can you get, I don't know who this is, answer tell him in the of the He called 911 and he told the people that, uh, he told the police, there's a robbery in my garage. There's a robbery in my garage. He said, so, where do you live? He said, where he lives. And the guy checks him in at his computer and is, where everybody is, where his cars are with Nick he checks where all the cars are the police cars and he says I'm sorry sir we have no cars in your area the fellow was devastated he has thieves he calls up there's a robbery going on in his garage and the police refuse to come there's no one in your area he hangs up the phone and he calls back a minute later and he says I just called you before to tell you, I had, had robbers in my garage. They said, "Yes." Never mind, you don't have to come. He says, "Why, sir? I shot them all. They're dead." Immediately, he hears sirens outside his house. Helicopters are flying. They're coming from all the. All of a sudden, all the entire police force is here. He comes out and they, he sees them apprehend in the garage all the thieves. And he comes outside and he says, thank you for coming and thank you for arresting them. guy says, but you said you shot them all. So he says, yeah, but as long as it was only a robbery, you had no cars. When they were shot, you had cars. So I got the cars to come at least. At least I got the cars now to be in my area. I think I killed the punchline. which is likely because it doesn't sound as funny as it did yesterday Meshe <inaudible> Abenu shows us what a unique leader of the Jewish nation emanates and teaches us how to talk how to act and how to live and of course it's in the Teira. Teira is and Heira, a lesson. And we have a lesson from each and everything that goes on in the Teira. And therefore we have to see what lesson is it that Moshe is teaching us with Chumish Devarim. And especially with this week's parasha. As we embark in the parasha... We see, Moshe Rabbeinu begins with a very, very awkward situation. <clears throat> he starts to enumerate, with a hint of course, all the sins that the Jews have been sinning for the last 40 years. And he starts to mention, and Rashi turns to the poor Ben the Mikra. Rashi turns to the the Mikra to the five year old child learning Khumish who's befuddled. He's be- What is he saying here? What are all these things? Rashi says, he starts to enumerate here, all the places that the the Jews made the Almighty angry. They angered the Almighty. However, says Rashi, he hints it. He puts it only in a hint. Mipnek Faden shall you sell for the covet of the Jews. Now, <laughs> if I tell you when you sinned, when you, you wronged me, and I tell you, remember Sutter Avenue? And you know that Sutter Avenue is the time when you busted my car, you smacked into my car, or whatever it was. I don't tell you remember what you did to me with the smacking up of the car, I just tell you remember Sutter Avenue. Between you and me, you're embarrassed. When I remind you, even via a hint, but I remind you something that you how you wronged me, it's embarrassing. So although Meshirabainu is going through great lengths of hinting the sins of the Jews throughout the forty years, he's still enumerating the sins. So if that's the case, what is Mipnaikvodan Shayya? What does the honor of the Jews have to do with this? He's hinting it. Not to bring the anger of God again, not to bring the wrath of God, not to awaken again the whole story he 's only hinting it so the Jews should know what he 's talking about <laughs> in the forest dideb explains. There are four ways of learning Tera. Pshat, Remez, Drush, and Seid. Remez is a hint of what we can actually see from what we learned. Drush, we go into the actual learning and we try to learn how to derive from it. And Sayyid is the secrets. According to Remez, when he says, Mipnei Kvedan because of the honor of the Jews, it can also mean that he's learning a schus. He's giving a, an excuse to the Jews. What does it mean that he's giving them a, a by not enumerating the actual sin? What it means is that he is giving them an honor, because he did not tell anybody. Not only, he not, he's, not only he's not telling you what the sin was, He's actually telling you why they committed the sin. And it wasn't really their fault. This is Mipnei and Yisrael. To teach us the way how to the way how to give up, how to tell the Jews what they did without hurting their feelings. Why? Because he gave them an excuse for each sin. Let's enumerate. Bamidbor. What happened, Bamidbor? We know back when the Jews left Egypt, they came to the Yamsuf. Excuse me. They came out to the desert, and they said, Mi yitain musenu Bamidbor, who gave us, who brought us here, to die of hunger in the desert. So Mesha is saying, why did they actually say this? Because they were in a tremendous Midbar, Bamidbar. It was a story that took place in the desert. There was thirst, there was no water. So of course they had to talk like that. It was a sin to say, Miyitem Huseinu Bamidbar, but there was a reason for it. Because they were in a desert. the story that happened with the Khat Hashitim, where the Jews sinned with the women of Mayav, it was because of the area they were in. It was in Arava, in Arava is Mayav. This was not a very modest place. And because of the lack of modesty, that's why they sinned there. So it wasn't really their fault. Male suf. What is that sin? The sin of male suf is because they sinned by the yamsuf, by the crossing of the Red Sea. Because the nature was not to be saved. Now they were in trouble. The water in front of them, the desert to their sides, and the Egyptians were upon them. So of course they're going to say, what do we do now? Paran, what they did in Midbar Paran, they sent the spies. What kind of sin It was a sin. But the sin was not the sending of the spies. The sin was because the spies came back with a lousy report. That's what caused the problem. When they sent out the spies, they weren't told, okay, you send spies, you're not going into Israel. It was only when the spies returned and gave a lousy report that they ended up with being punished by not going into Israel. So therefore he says, it's not itself. The paron, the Aveda that happened, the paron wasn't their fault. They were not culpable. Tefl, beloved, that they complained about the mon, which was white, What were they complaining? They were complaining the money that they were eating was white. It didn't look like food. It didn't look like food. They were wrong. It was a sin that they complained. But it's not their fault, says Moshe. Moshe Rabbeinu says they sinned by saying that it was white. It was white. It was not looking... It did not have appearance of food. It tasted like anything you wanted but it didn't look like it. And we've spoken many times in many different shurim, <speaking in Hebrew> How they hungered from eating the Mon. Why were they hungry? Not because they lacked sustenance. They had enough sustenance. It gave them what to live off. But what made them hungry? They didn't see what they were eating. They didn't see the rib steak. They tasted it? Yes. But they didn't bite into it. They didn't chew it. They didn't have that actual bite. So now <laughs> they're not crazy it was not a sin, it was a sin because they shouldn't be complaining about God but the fact of the matter is they did not see what they were eating Chatzeles, what happened to Chatzedez was the machlekas of Kerach the sin of the Jews in the Machlechus of Kerach was because Kerach drove them to it Kerach went around and told everybody to sin so it was Kerach's Action. Kheirachs. <laughs> we'll use the word... Uh, he forced them into this. He caused them into this. It wasn't the Jews themselves. Vidi Again the same story. What was Vidi Zahov? The Khat Ego. What did they do by the Ego? It was because they had too much Gold. So they lost it. So It's not their fault, says Moshe. You had all these riches that were poured on you. And it's a big test. It's a test for a Jew to have gold. It's a test for a Jew to have a lot of money. Can I overcome this? Can I actually say to myself that I have enough money to work six days? I don't need to work on Shabbos. Can I say to myself that I'm good now? I can suffice? No, because the Mishnah says, Moshe Mana Reitz whoever has a hundred... Wants 200. And wants two, who has 200 wants 400. They don't want 300. A person wants more, they cannot suffice with what they have. So true. And therefore, money is always a test. I had a little issue. Somebody met me last Shabbos. And... He said, Rabbi, the Sheer was amazing. I listened to the Sheer. It was great. I was spellbound. One problem. On Tuesday, I was getting anxious. Sheer is only on Wednesday. So I went online to the site, to Sheer.us, and I listened to last year's Sheer. So I got a little bit of a dose from last year. And then Wednesday, I listen to the next year. Rabbi, he says, you told the story with the rabbit. Twice. You told that same story last year. So I said, okay, that's the case, I have people that can sit and compare the archives. I have to be a little more careful with my stories, and I have to make sure I'm telling stories that I did not tell before. The fellow... Went on business to Detroit, Michigan. Push the flowers, poor Mendy looks like he's in the dark. The other one, okay. He went to Detroit, Michigan on business. And the way he did his business was, he would come to the last business meeting that he had in the evening. He was basically, he knew the associates he was doing business with, and he would stay the night with them. And he made up who he was going to stay the night with, because he knew he'd make the last meeting with them, and that's how he worked. He came to one house, and they invited a few other couples for the evening for supper, for dinner. Dinner turned to drinks, drinks turned to talking, and there was one fellow there that had a very intriguing Conversation teaser. He only wanted to know Twillin. The Twillin that the man wears, why do they have to be square? The Twillin the man wears, why do they have to be black? The Twillin the man wears, how many knots? All night long, he was constantly throwing out quips about Twillin. This went on until 2 o'clock in the morning. At 2 o'clock in the morning, the party broke up, everybody was leaving. And he took this guy, he saw him to the door. And he says to him, Tell me, my friend, what's your problem with the film? Why are you on the film's case? And he says, I'll be honest with you. I haven't been on film in twenty years. You haven't been on film in twenty years? He says, No. Why not? I didn't. I work in a bakery. I have an overnight shift. I work a whole night long, it comes to the middle of the morning, I finish, I go to sleep, I have no strength to this stuff. He says, What if I come to your bakery? Will you put on the twill? He says, Yeah, I'll put on. What time? He says, At six thirty there's a break. Instead of me going to eat breakfast, I'll spend a few minutes with you. He says, Fine. At six thirty this guy's a businessman, he's not a, a shaliach. But at six thirty in the morning, he was by the bakery with the tefillin and the yarmulke, and he met the fellow. The fellow washes his hands, and the fellow takes the tefillin and says, "Thank you," and he takes them out of the bag and wraps them up himself, puts them on, starts to daven, like he does this every day. Fascinating. Guy finishes davening, and he says to him, "Tegidly, tell me." Why don't you do this every day? He shakes his head. He says, because I don't have to film. And if you had to film, would you do it? He says, yeah. The guy says, fine. That completed his business trip that day. He went back to New York, and then he was going to London. So before leaving, he wrote to the Rebbe in the morning... that he was in Detroit he had business meetings this is this meeting, and that meeting, that meeting and then he told about the evening conversation with this fellow, with the tefillin and now he went to put on tefillin with a guy and the guy doesn't have his own tefillin but he would put on every day if he did however he lives in London he's going back, this guy, I'm going back to London he says and this Shabbos is a special Shabbos for me in London why? Because, excuse me, my two married children are coming with their children, my grandchildren. My son has studied last year in Eretzal, he's going to learn in New York, he's coming to London for Shabbos. My whole family is going to be together for the first time, and I don't remember how long. Actually, forever. Because I never had all my grandchildren there as well. Everyone's going to be there, so I really have to be home, I want to be home for Shabbos. So, in essence, he was asking the Rabbi for the journey and everything. Immediately, and he went off to Manhattan. And he figured in the afternoon he'll be back before Mincha and he'll hopefully get a blessing for his journey and he'll go back to London in the evening. He goes to Manhattan, he comes back. This is pre-cell phone days. People, there was a day, believe it or not, in the United States of America that you could leave an area and not be able to be contacted. (laughs) They could not find you. You like electro- there was no electronic leash, no cell phone, no pager, no beeper, no nothing. This guy went off to Manhattan, and he returned about twenty minutes before Mincha Mincha, three fifteen, and he comes in seven seventy. And the Rebbe's secretary sees him and says, "Where were you?" "Sent to Manhattan." He says, "Why?" He says, the Rebbe sent an answer. In essence, in short, the Rebbe's answer to this fellow was I'm very happy for your trip to London but you're not going anywhere until you make sure this guy in Detroit has film. And he puts on today. If it means getting on a plane with a pair of film and taking it back to Detroit and missing your flight to London, let it be that way. But you must see to it this guy gets film today and puts on film today. He planned in six weeks, he's going to be back in Detroit for business, he'd bring tefillin and he'll give the guy a pair of tefillin. The Rebbe said, no, this fellow said he's going to put on every day, you're sending it today. And then the Rebbe concluded, and understand, that when he gets these tefillin today, and sees how important it is to you, that you made sure he got tefillin the very next day, this will give him a bigger push to continue putting on every day. Khossid was in a dilemma now. What do you do? Tell the Rebbe no? So he started running around. Now this is again. In the earlier years, where there wasn't a dozen places on King's Nevi, you could buy a pair of films. They didn't have wholesalers of film. You went into the Sefer, you maybe had an extra pair there. Another little problem. There's a limit to how much money a foreigner was able to bring to America. So when he came to America for business, he brought whatever he needed for spending here. And he had spent pretty much whatever he had. So he didn't really have any extra money. So, he... Finally, found one safe on Kingston Avenue that had a parrot film to sell. He gave him a check. The fellow took it. There were funds in his account, but uh, he didn't have cash. Now came a mouse with a ticket. didn't have a credit card. Can't buy a ticket with a cash check. I no, Maybe then you could still. Anyway, you could. You can go to a travel agent and get her the check. You didn't buy online. Didn't. The, didn't exist, he didn't buy a ticket online um, he remembered he flew American Airlines to Detroit he met a guy, in an American and the guy gave him his number he called the guy here in Kennedy and he told him his dilemma in those days you can still imagine you can do this, today's day they shoot you in the airport He went to the airport and gave the guy the Tzillin. The guy says, no problem, I'll get it on the next flight to Detroit. He called up Detroit, one of the Bukham in Yeshiva, and told him to meet the plane. And the guy on the other end, maybe it was a steward even that he met, I'm not sure. And the guy gave him the Tzillin on the other end, and the guy ran, the Bukham ran to the bakery, or wherever it was, found this guy and got him the Tzillin to put on that day Tzillin still. He did not board his flight to London, until he was notified by the Bakr that the guy had his phone and put it on before Shkia, Because that was the Rebbe's instructions. About a half a year later, he was in Detroit. And he came to see the guy. And he said, no, how's the twill? He says, the twill are beautiful. He says, how often do you use them? He says, every day. Except for Shabbos. There was one day that was a major snowstorm. And it was trying, because I had to get home from the bakery in the morning, but I got home before Shkia to make sure I put on those film. He said, I saw how important it was to you to get me the film that day. I said, if it's so important to him, I'm going to make it so important to me. Which is exactly what the Rebbe told this fellow. Make it as important as it is to you. this is what we see here, the importance of a Rebbe Moshe is talking to the Jews and he's, he's reprimanding them for all the sins they did and then Moshe Abbeinu has terrible, terrible regret it hurts him horrifically I'm going to have to repeat his story so anyone that's listening and found that I've said this story before You'll have to just forgive me. Meshire stops and he says, Hashem Alekiah Viseichem, in the middle of the whole, Techecha here, in the middle of all this, giving them this, this reprimand and everything, he stops and he says, Hashem Alekiah Viseichem, God, God of your fathers, Yesef Aleichem Kochem, Elef pom should multiply you today a thousandfold. Oh, what's the king coming on the thing, you know? We don't deal with kings. I just want to tell you about that king. Come back here. I'll tell you something. I never in my life touched playing cards. My parents were very careful that I should never touch them. They said there's something in them that we shouldn't touch them so it's just, uh, just funny that you managed to show it to me I've never yet you know, touched those cards in my life when you get here for the wedding I'll explain it to you <laughs> um, there were 600,000 Jews and Moses is blessing them to be 600,000 times that no, a 1,000 times that 1,000 times 600,000, you have calculators that can do that math. So the question becomes, why is that a blessing? In essence, the Almighty has already blessed the Jews in two occasions. One time. Excuse me, it says prior to this, The <laughs> passage prior to this actually, they were blessed like the stars in heaven. And they were blessed like the sand on the earth. On the beach. And neither of those numbers are <laughs> capable of being counted. So when the blessing was given to the Jews, it was infinite. It's an infinite number. What kind of blessing is Moshe giving them by saying, Yeshu v'ashem v'achem kochem It's an, a finite number. It's actually a step back to the actual blessing. The famous story of a fellow, a peasant that saved the king. It's a marshal. A parable. A peasant once saved the king and we're not going to go through the whole length of the story. and he, um, the king wanted to give him a reward the peasant was a simple person he said what kind of reward could I possibly want the king also thought to himself what could he want what's he going to ask for already, a few rubles, a few pieces of diamonds, gold the peasant said you know I deal with wheat stalks of wheat so the king says okay how many do you want your, Your Majesty, if you don't get upset with me, I just want to tell you how I want it. I want one stalk of wheat. On the first day of the month. I want for 30 days, you should double my wheat. Every day, double my wheat in 30 days. So on the first day of the month, one stalk. On the second day of the month, it's two stalks. On the third day of the month, it's four stalks. Now anyone that's adventurous enough can keep going for me. And um, the shiri is going for another half hour. If you come up with the final number by, 30, by the next 30 minutes, you're more than welcome to send it over to me. You're not going to find one. By 30 days, the numbers were... So this little peasant that he felt was so simple was far from it. In English we have, in math we have an expression 10 to the 10th power a thousand to the 100th power which means you take that number, you multiply it by its number that amount of times 10 to the 10th power would be 10 times 10 times 10 times 10, times 10. each number that you come up with keeps getting by 10 like the stalks of wheat. And this is what Meish is telling the Jews, lachem kochem elef You should multiply now for a thousand times. 600,000 times 600,000. Times the 3,000,000. 3, 3, 3, 3, 3 million.6 times 3. 3 million.6. Do this a thousand times. You're obviously going to come way above the stars and way above the beaches. And again, we'll challenge any mathematician to do 600,000 to the 1,000th power and tell me what they can come up with. I don't believe calculators carry that number. No, it doesn't even go there. It goes like the stars in heaven and like the sands on the beach. Another phenomenon this week's parashat. Amongst the many, but another phenomenon that we've never spoken about before, we've mentioned it, but never really touched the subject. Vayhibar <laughs> Bayim shana, the Torah tells us, in the beginning of Chumash Devarim, it was the fortieth year. Ha'il Meisha, Meisha. Excuse me, ba'ashdas la'chidush. In the eleventh month, which is Shvat, echad la'chidush, anish and Diber Mesha Mesha begins to speak of B'nai Yisrael all that God commanded him. And then it says, Be'er a Yardin, Beretz on the other side of the Yardin, the land of Mayav, Hayil Mesha Mesha begins, Be'er Esa to expound on this Teira. Now Rashi says to the Bechamish the Mikra, You know what Be'er means? No, it's not the aspirin, that's Be'er. Be'er Rashi says, which is Pesuk Hei, Perik Aleph, Chapter One, the Pesuk Sentence Five. Rashi says, Be'er is a b'shivim l'shain lahem. Moshe explained the teira, expounded the entire teira in seventy different languages. My dear friends. Can you imagine if I gave this She'er in 70 different languages? How long would that take? The one hour of the She'er, And I kept translating it, 70 hours. That's an experience. This wasn't one hour of shir. This one is one hour of theta Someone's at the door. The entire teda... Shhh! the entire Taylor, he explained it 70 times in 70 different languages wow so now the the Meshemikra of course asks in simple Russian move. why? why did Mesha go through all that to explain it in seventy different languages. Oh. Give the man a skull cap. Aruch Mechayim Metim B'Mamorot. Give him a kippah. I'm better listening today. My head's right here. Today I'm at the level of the Bishkova. <laughs> Be'er, he explained it in 70 Lashon. Why 70 Lashon? Terim, Terim. Lo kol aberez. Rak tar yadit. Kolak akavod What was the idea of 70 Lashon? And a better question I'll ask you. Me'eshe Rabbeinu. We learn in the Mishnah of Yavis. Me'eshe Kibbel Teire Misinayi. Moshe got the tariff from Sinai. Uma sara Yeshua. He gave it to Yeshua. Yeshua the gained etc. etc. It was a pecking order. It was handed down from one to the next. Look who gave me that. I didn't know. No. It was handed down from one to the next. Why did Moshe have to do this translation in 70 languages? Why didn't he have one of the underlings? Translate to the seventy languages. And another question. Another question. Who understood him? He's standing there talking seventy languages. Who understood the seventy languages? What's the big idea? Why was it that Mesha himself had to do this? Mesha was the only one that could cause Tayda to be of the value that it was. What gave the sanctity to Tayra? The fact that it came from Mesha. the b'sinai. Anything that any student ever brought up in the Torah concept, Moshe already learned it on Sinai. Nothing that you ever hear, you hear sometimes a rabbi or somebody expounding on something, and it sounds like a chiddush, he's putting together something new, a new learning, this was already said by Moshe and Sinai. And only because it was said by Moshe and Sinai did it have now the capability of being said. And this is therefore what the seventy languages is for. And why Davka through Moshe? Had it only been given by Lashon HaKedosh, if Moshe would only have given Tera from the Holy Tongue, and not with any other ta- languages, when it arrived in America, when it arrived in South America, and when they talk English and they give a shir in English, or they give a shear in Spanish, or they give a shear in Russian or anything else, They would have no value. When the person talks Torah, as our guest just did, you have to wash your hands first. You're discussing words of Torah. You have to wash your hands. A person should be dressed properly. A person cannot be in a mikveh, in a bathhouse, discussing Torah. Because it's not covered. So the question would have been, I understand I can't disband in Tera in a bathhouse because it was in the Holy Tongue. What about in English? What about in Spanish? What about in any other language? Tells us that Tera, Be'eira sa Tera. Masha elevated the Tera already into that language as well. So when you're discussing in any given language Tera, it has that same value because Masha already brought it into this world since Theta was given through Moshe Rabbeinu he was the only one that could actually do this he's the only one that was able to elevate and express Kedusha into every language only it was done through him <laughs> many years ago there were a few girls over here from New York and they were in Manhattan, they were looking for a taxi. They hailed a the taxi. And they get in the taxi and uh, they see the guy's name is uh, something Goodman. So one of the girls is brazen and bold enough and says, Are you Jewish? And he says, Yeah, I'm Jewish. And they heard the thick, thick accent. And they asked, Are you from Russia? And he says, Nein. I'm from Auschwitz. That's not every child in America is prepared for that and immediately told them his mother and his father they were all taken from Budapest and they were taken to Auschwitz his mother was killed in the, in the gas chamber his father died in labor labor camp during work he survived the war, he was in an orphanage he was brought by the Red Cross to America very little to, to do with Yiddishkeit but something he wanted to keep, something he did keep and he married a Jewish woman and he had occasion to go to the Rebbe The He got a dollar from the Rebbe. And the Rebbe gave him a bracha. That he'll always have mazel. His mazel should shine. And he said, I have good mazel. That's what he told him. I have good mazel. How do I have good mazel? And he told the story how he went to the Rebbe. He said, I'm not a chastid. Not religious, really. I have the dollar from the Rebbe that I won't give away for anything, no matter what happens in my life. This dollar from the Rebbe stays with me. If I have nothing to eat, this dollar is not being spent. He says, but the Rebbe, he's the Rebbe of the the nation. He says, the Rebbe is the Hungarian Rebbe. So the girls wanted to say, he's not Hungarian, the Rebbe came from Russia, but they understood that he didn't mean that, that he came from Hungary. The Rebbe is the Hungarian Rebbe, the Rebbe is the Israeli Rebbe, the Rebbe is the Russian Rebbe, the Rebbe is the American Rebbe. the Rebbe was the world's Rebbe. He says, my wife, when the Rebbe was in the hospital in Manhattan, he says, my wife used to go every day to get a report on the Rebbe's condition. He says, when the Rebbe and Gimbal Thomas Rebbe passed away, he says, my wife and I sat home and cried for three days. We could not stop crying. Because he was the closest thing that we ever had to a father. A taxi driver from Budapest, driving in Manhattan. Who knew? Who understood? But this is what a Nasi, this is what a Moshe Rabbeinu of a generation, how he takes into consideration everything that happens to each and every Jew. And that's why we see here that the Torah tells us. That it was in the 40th year, and it was the last that we said before, it was a month before Maisha's passing. And Mahesh is giving all this heichacha, all, the, all these arguments, the reprimand. Rashi tells us, from here we learn, we do not reprimand somebody until we're close to the death. Until we're on the deathbed, we don't reprimand it. And the Rashi elaborates four reasons. Question that Rebbe asks. It's not the first time Baishu reprimands the Jews. Throughout the 40 years he's been screaming and yelling at them for the th- different things they did. Why all of a sudden do we learn from this that you reprimand only before death? ever says because here the reprimand that Meishah was giving was totally different. Let us see the differences. Each time the Meishah reprimanded, it was right after the sin was done. The sin was done, they saw it, they knew what they did wrong, and Meishah reprimanded them. They understood? In this case, it was way after anything had ever happened. It's 40 years. At the end of 40 years, he's reprimanding. 40 years worth of it. The sin didn't happen now. It happened years ago. Another thing. (laughs) The people died in the desert. All the people that sinned died in the desert. So he wasn't even talking to the sinner. He was talking to the children and grandchildren. So we see the reprimand, therefore, is said only when a person is about to die. That's why this reprimand was different. But we have to see based on the end of the Pasha, the Jews go to war we'll find a very strange phenomenon. Jewish nation. The Jewish nation goes to war to conquer the land and we still have to go over the dinim of Tishabov. It says Ruven and God who were already given their land, their inheritance on the other side had to also come battle. We understood that. Moshe had gave them an argument what do you think you're going to get out of it so easy? now you're not going to go to battle, you'll, you'll inherit this side. So he said, no, we'll go to battle. But it says, not only they went to battle, they went to the battle front. They fought up front. Rashi says, why did they fight battle up front? This is verse 18, chapter 3. god hayim says, why in front? Hey, how you held him? You saw they went in the front. The fisher bait him. They were so strong. The evim neflim l'fneem, and the enemies fell in front of them. The zreya They were able to slice off the guy's arm and his head at one shot. Huh? A chokmah. a cup? Yeah, oh. I got the cup. Okay. <laughs> So that's why they went in the front. The Guru Aryeh says, Rashi had a question here. I understand why Reuben and God had to go battle. Why did they have to be in the front? Why did they have to be on harm's way more than anyone else? We know generally, when we talk about the strong tribe, the strongest of the brothers, we know we refer to Yehuda. Yehuda was the giber, he was the lion. So, why all of a sudden did Reuben and God become the strongest tribes? Yaakov promised Yehuda that your hand will be on the neck of the enemies. So, why all of a sudden Reuben and God was sent on the forefront, not Yehuda? How could Rashi write they were the mighty ones? And also in Pasha's Matha's Rashi writes, Ruben and God were commanded to be in the head. They should go with everybody else. It doesn't have to be Dafka. because they should be in the front. Why all of a sudden now they have to be in the front itself? When Yaakov gave a blessing to Yehuda about your hand will be on the neck of your enemies of your enemies. What is referring to is because when Yehuda comes forth The enemy won't even try to fight. The enemy will take to his heels and run for his dear life. And therefore, the neck will be showing to them. Because they're not going to see anything else. They'll only see the dust. But when going into into Hetzel, they were not allowed to leave anybody alive. They couldn't take captives. So how could you kill them if they run for their lives? And therefore it was chosen, after Reuben and God, who were battling the war that they should lead. But another Kunzia. Had Moshe gone into to assail to conquer with the Jews, it would have been a miraculous victory the whole battle. Just like all the other miraculous battles that Moshe Rebbe won. Therefore he needed to take Reuben and God, not Jehuda, to go with the leaders. So it should look like a miracle. Because my, my strongest, my yehuda I didn't put in the front. I put the Ruben and God. Ultimately, Rebbe, Moshe doesn't go into Hezzo's cell, and therefore the battle had to hold out. And therefore, since the Ruben and God had to do the killing, so they put them in front. Here's a story of a fellow <laughs> that was in California, in a place called what in Chabad we refer to it as Simcha Manaka, oh, Simcha Manaka. <laughs> and he was there from Mincha and he had to get back to Los Angeles but he was uh, not, not from California he needed a ride <laughs> so one guy was there and he says hey, you need a ride? I'll give you a ride and he says and one thing I'll tell you the car I can't tell you what it was like how the road was, I can't tell you it was like. I know the guy's name. And I'll never forget his name. You know why? <laughs> he gets to the guy and says, Ech, what's your name? He says, my name is Chaim Weitzman. He says, A Chaim Weitzman, I'm not forgetting. He says, it's not the same Chaim Weitzman as Israel had, but his name was Chaim Weitzman. Chaim Weitzman he gets into the car. Nice yarmulke on his head. Tells the man his story. We lived here in California as a child. Then my father got a very big position in Hong Kong. When we were living here, we were, you know, we were Jewish. We kept the Shabbos, we kept a little bit of a Yom we, Maybe we drove somewhere on Shabbos or whatever, but we knew what the, the holidays were, we knew what kosher was, You know what we moved to Hong Kong. It was all shot, and um, things only went from down downhill from there. I'm going to have to speed this story up because I really have to get to the laws of of Tishbav. He says, "I was flying I, I, a long story. I met a Shiksa in university. I grew up. I went to Harvard. I went to met a Shiksa. I wanted to marry the Shiksa. My parents were fuming." I came back to Hong Kong, I discussed with them, I told them, this is the story, not at Harvard, in London, what's the university in London? Oxford. Oxford. He's in Oxford, and I want to get married. Kids, I told my parents, listen, you're coming with me to the wedding, good, if not, I'm going to get married myself. They said, "This what can we do? We're not going. So I was on the flight from Hong Kong to London, On the last hour of the flight, the steward gets on the phone, and he says, are there any Jews on the plane? the last time you heard on the plane? Somebody says any Jews. There's a doctor on the plane, a rabbi on the plane, a priest on the plane. Are there any Jews on the plane? He says, I'm Jewish. I got up. So the steward there, I told the steward, the steward said, come with me. They took me to business class. And there was a guy sitting there, a businessman sitting in business class. You're Jewish, brother? He says, Yeah. He says, Come here, sit down, no, let's talk. And the fellow tells him, the, the businessman says, I was in New York, and I went into the Rebbe, to the Babich Rebbe, on a private audience. Again, I have to shorten the whole story, unfortunately. Bill Nether will make it up another time. Um, the Rebbe gave him a Tanya then the gave him a second tanya Says said wherever you're going you'll probably meet another Jew you meet another Jew you give him this tanya for me anyway here's the other Jew, I'm looking for you the whole flight they refused to, to make the announcement I was relentless until they made that announcement so you you answered the call here's the tanya from the L'Bav Etchidem he says what is it and he tried to I don't know really so he opened up where the string was, and the string talks about his parents had told him: no matter how bad a Jew is, no matter how far a Jew is, there's no, you don't marry a shiksa, and there's always waiting to, re- to return. The Tanya talks just about that. There's no such thing as a Jew that's so far gone that he can't do tshuva. Cannot do tshuva. Huh. And when he saw this, he heard his words of his parents. And he asked the guy, explain something else to me here. And the guy started to try to explain to him what that page was talking about and how that page talked literally to him and told him what he's doing is very, very, very wrong. And he got home, he got to London and he rethought and thought a third time and realized that this is not a way to go. So the Rebbe sent this Tanya with this guy on a plane. The guy had no idea who he was going to meet on the plane. Who he's giving this Tanya to him. This guy, Barak Hashem, was relentless to make sure that he found a Jew on the plane. And the Tanya saved this guy from marrying this <laughs> shiksa. He says, ultimately I'm married. This is the Chaim Weitzman. And he's living in California. This Shabbos is Tisha B'av. Throughout the nine days, I missed again to see him anyway. It's customary to hear see him every day. It is a brismila or a pidginabend during the nine days. A person may eat meat during that time. Otherwise, we do not eat meat throughout the week. Tishabov, we wear special shoes, not leather shoes. Um, if you don't have, you can buy them in the nine days. Can't buy anything else in the nine days, which can I? But you can't prepare stuff. Why, the not Why not? Why Why? Didn't get to it yet. Why not leather shoes? No leather shoes because we're in mourning. It's the day of mourning. We'll explain it soon. A pregnant woman or a nursing woman that's going to find it hard to fast, to call. <laughs> yeah. There's no flat rule, but generally, because especially this year it's Nidcha, because Tishbab is actually on Shabbos, and we're fasting on Sunday, generally the Rabbinah will be more lenient with that, so please call the local rabbi. This Shabbos is called Shabbos Chazayn. As you know, Chazayn means to see, and if a person is merits, when he goes to Shul the Shabbos, he will see the third HaMikdash. And this is said a story from the Badichava. The famous Marshal the Badhitchava said about the child that had a, a suit and fell and tore the suit. Father bought him a second suit. He ran around again and fell and tore the suit again. And finally the father bought a third suit and hung it in the closet. And every so often would show it to him. You learn how to be like a mensch, you'll get the third suit. This says the Badichava, the Elisha shows us the Beis Amigdal Shashlishi on this Shabbos to tell us, behave, and this is what you're going to get. Um, we don't taste anything we don't eat meat even out of Shabbos. People should remember to bring their shoes before Shabbos to show. If they forgot, we'll soon discuss it. Um, Shabbos morning before davening. Person can learn Chumash, Kitas, Rambam, whatever you want to learn, even though it's Tishavah. Torah reading is normal. After is in New York, which is about one hundred five, I think we have to check. Check locally. Um, it is customary to learn things only related to tishabav or you can learn the different sichas that the Rebbe spoke about Tishavah. Tisha S- Sunday? Sunday night. And when you start last week. No. The nine days started last week. Yeah, no, okay. The nine days finished Sunday night. But Tisha Bav's fast will start Saturday night until Sunday night. Uh-huh. Mincha on Shabbos Shabbat. is Shabbat. going to be a little Shabbat. earlier. Shabbat. Shabbat. Yes. With the shoes. With Shabbat. Shabbat is regular Shabbat. Only Saturday night Abad we're going to regular. talk. Regular. regular. Mincha on Shabbat should be a little earlier than usual uh-huh. so you have time to eat Sudash Lishit. Yeah. We don't say Tikkascha. We don't say Pirkei It looks like <laughs> uh, we can eat a whole day until sunset. <laughs> uh-huh. That's eight thirty. Uh, of eight twenty-two, eight twenty even. Changing of the shoes. You may not change your shoes on Shabbos and do not the shoes. You have to wait till Matzah Shabbos. I need more explanation. We'll this. soon explain everything. On the the Rebbe would come down. Might have would start later on Matzah Shabbos. So that, so that people can change shoes before. Before changing your shoes, you have to say, Baruch Hamabdul Ben Kredesh Lechel. We don't make Avdol Saturday night, we're going to make Havdalah Sunday night, because we can't eat and we can't drink the wine. Um, women that remain at home can light a candle after saying Baruch HaMavdol Ben Kredesh Lechel and make the bracha of Bein Merah HaEish. If a man is still home, he should make the bracha then as well. If not, we'll soon discuss it. On from the night until after Chatzes, on Sunday, we do not sit on a high chair, higher than three hand breaths. We sit on low chairs. On oh. Shemineser, on we say, Atachin Antonu, which we do every Saturday night. Mm-hmm. And then in Shul, after Shemineser, a candle is lit, and they make the bracha of the rest of Havdallah is said on Sunday night, without Samim Ola, candles. Saturday night, we're going to say Eicha, then we say, we do not say vihin noyam, but we say viat Kodesh and then we say alenu we do not wish one another a good we do not wash our hands once saturday night comes in further than our knuckles we do not wash our full hand um, the same thing on sunday we of course don't shower sunday morning Bihata ashachar we do not say the Brach Asali Again, we do not greet one another on Sunday either. During Shachos, we do not put on Tefillin Sunday morning. We do not say Um We do not use for Veshma, or anything else. Chazan will say Anenu and not say The reading of the Torah, the third Aliyah, is Mafter, even by Shachrit. And that's from Pashat we then say the kinus. Then we say ashe. We don't say Ramatzeach. We say Evalatzein. We leave out the Pasuk of Anizei After midday, you can then sit on a chair, a regular chair, and you can study Rambam and after Mincha, we put on our tefillin. For Mincha on Sunday, we'll wear tefillin and read the Torah of Ayachal. And we also put back the Parechas on the Shul, which we took off Saturday night. Um, we say the regular Shema in the Tefillin, once we put them on, we say then we say Mincha. in Mincha we say Nachem, once a year that we say it, the only time a year is in Mincha Shmonese on on, on B'Av and on Enu if you forgot to say Nachem you have until the end of Shmonese to keep filling it in, if you forgot you do not repeat Shmonese B'Achiz Kahanam is recited in the Repetition on Mincha. Of course, one should make sure to give Tzdukah, and then have After Ma'ariv, we cannot eat meat or drink wine that night, on Saturday night. But you can cut your hair and do laundry already on Saturday. On, excuse me, on Sunday night. Prior to eating, one should make Havdalah. If a person is not able to fast, a woman, for example, gets ahead to not to fast, they cannot eat or drink. Until they make havdala not first, it. may we not have to fast at all. Yehavkiyam the le'sossin or le'simcha, and we should have our yudim kippur our tishvav in yudish laim and we with nusheft and Kainu.